in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melvardis, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies and knights, to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host from right here in the Steel City, Mr. Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well this evening. All right. I am excited, Chad. Do you know why? Crossover guest time. It is crossover first guest time coming to you from the Gutting the Sacred Cow podcast. He is a stand-up comedian and the kind of movie-loving fan we love to have on this show is our special guest, Mr. Kevin Goatee. Guten Tag, fellas. Wie geht's? Sehr gut? Oh, perfect. Glad to hear. <laughs> Thanks our for having me, fellas. Our German audience just doubled. We appreciate that. So. <laughs> yeah, not much. Uh, that much after that I can get into. That's just the basic stuff that I learned in German 101. And to make sure I got the, I was able to pass, because I took a pass-fail, and uh, graduate on time. Oh, das ist gut. So. <laughs> Wunderbar. <All right. laughs> yeah. Um, so, Kevin... You are a comedian, and what is your big screen comedian who you most admire, respect, and maybe has even shaped and influenced your sense of humor the most? That was It's a two-pronged attack, and it's going to tie into tonight's episode perfectly. I will say it is Dave Attell is 1A, and Rodney Dangerfield is 1B, and I will say Daniel Tosh would be number two, Chris Rock three. Ranking. I love a good countdown, so much, much appreciated on that one. You're, you're speaking my language. Turns out Rodney Dangerfield does get his respect on this show. So now, what is the last movie you saw, Kevin? I watched a bunch of garbage recently on Netflix. I got to think of what's uh, what was worth it. But I did see Oppenheimer last week or two weeks ago, whenever the day or the, the Friday came out. It was good. Is it a nine or a 10? Like everyone else is ready to throw bouquets. No, it's not. It's it's Nolan has been on his downfall since uh, after the Dark Knight. Dark Knight was fantastic. And that was the beginning of the end. It was Interstellar, which stunk. Dark oh. Knight Rises. Yeah, you heard me. Interstellar stunk. It was and we actually had on our podcast, the Getting the Sacred Cow podcast you earlier alluded to. The guest turned out to be a physicist and explained why Interstellar is full of garbage. Oh, but forget no that. There it's no boring. The, the film bo is boring and it's full of inaccuracies. By the way, did you guys know on a foreign planet that you can live by breathing the gas ammonia? No. That doesn't happen in real life, but it did in Interstellar. It dragged. It was boring. I, I hated it. Rewatched it again and I said, yep, I'm right. Then, of course, <laughs> then, of course, Dark Knight Rises. Not bad. Not great. Definitely the weakest of the bunch. Then it was Dunkirk, which was all right. Beautifully shot. Didn't have there. There was no character development. Things it, it was a, it was fine. It, I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Then came Tenet, which was at a complete manatee abortion. Could not care less. I got lost in the shuffle when I saw it in the theater. I admit I had no idea what the hell was going on or what why it was happening. I got home. I googled what the point was, and I go, oh, who cares? It still stinks. 
this is better. It's longer. I don't mind long films. One of my favorite films of all time, JFK, over three hours. We just did Shawshank Redemption. That's almost, uh, that's 240. Pulp Fiction, my favorite, my second favorite film of all time, 240. It drags. The last half hour, people were actually crapping on. I liked it because you learn a lot about what happened after the bomb was dropped. And uh, they got into it. But it's good. It's going to win all the awards uh, for probably best performances for sure. Best picture, I don't know. But it has zero rewatchability. I will never, most likely ever watch. Maybe I'll watch it one more time in my life, but. It does not have that stickiness that a lot of other films do. Early Nolan stuff, yes, plenty of stickiness. The Prestige, amazing. Memento, amazing. Batman Begins, Dark Knight, oh, fantastic. But this, nope. So, 7 out of 10. That's my uh, number for you, fellas. Okay, so you heard it here. He's picking Oppenheimer award season over Barbie. So It's fair. All right. Chad, what about you? What's the last movie you saw, by the way? Uh, my daughter just had a birthday. She loves the Mario movie. So we bought her the uh, Blu-ray and she's immediately wanted to watch it. It's a good time. It's a good time on a rewatch. It's just, it's an enjoyable movie and it helps erase the trauma of the original Mario movie from uh, <laughs> the John Leguizamo one. <laughs> Last movie for me that I saw was Superman from 1978. And uh, this was a childhood uh, delicacy for me, and I'm happy to pass it on to my son, who's now he's three, going on four soon, and uh, he loved it. So it works, and uh, this is a better Superman than the Man of Steel movie, I, which I was disappointed with. But Superman four, Superman, Superman four was better than the Man of Steel. Man, I love these hot takes. This is. <laughs> By the way, I think then you will love our episode where we had Bill Schultz, a frequent guest, very good friend. On the morning show on Compound Media, it used to be on Fox uh, Red Eye. He came on to t- explain why Superman the original is terrible. So you may want to check that episode out. It's okay. I will it. check it out. Give me okay. his address. We can fight. It's okay. All right. So Chad, Chad, Chad do, you agree, do you agree with what Chad? Do you think it, do you think Superman seventy eight is uh, as fantastic as uh, as Russell does? I am already going to take off Russell enough tonight, so I'm going to stay out of that one. <laughs> oh man, you guys are just trying to hand me a ice cream cone with Russell. On you it. liked that episode of Superman as well, so give that a listen yourself. I have a, I have a sneaky suspicion. All right, all right. So, uh, Chad, what movie are we covering today? We are covering 1980s Caddyshack. Doesn't feel like an 80s movie. Feels like a 70s movie, but it is. It's 1980. Its budget is 4.8 to 6 million, depending on where your sources are from. It grosses $39.8 million domestically, finishing at 17th in the box office that year. It comes in just behind Cheech and Chong's next movie and ahead of Friday the 13th. The number one movie that year was Star Wars Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back. That's a pretty good movie. IMDb rating gives the Caddyshack a 7.2. Rotten Tomatoes critics, 72. Right Right on par there. And the audience score is an 87%. Now, the AFI says this is the number 71 greatest comedy of all time. And it also is featured on the AFI's greatest movie quotes at number 92 with Carl Spackler going, Cinderella story, out of nowhere, former groundskeeper, now about to become master champion of the world. It's a miracle. It's a no. It's a no. So... Uh, do you fell do you fellas take AFI for I know I owe it of credit because I think AFI is a big heaping pile of poop. 
Uh, well, I'm not a fan. I I, I, no. I tend to like it, and Chad does not. So you have a kindred spirit, and again, you've, you know, it's just a opposing forces here and there. So it's all a- AFI. It, it needs to be a rule where every ten years that list needs to be revisited, and people need to rewatch these films because there are a lot of films that are on there that stink. Maybe they were great at the time, but they stink now. See, two thousand one, a space odyssey for exhibit a oh, you're just making such good friends with chad tonight i just can't tell you <laughs> i'm not even telling you the times that it's happening but you are just closely like you don't know it's just like you and chad are suddenly mind melding it's it's unreal so anyway we'll see if you part ways down the line though unsurprisingly <laughs> golf fans love this movie tiger woods loves this movie and the film is met with an underwhelming set of reviews though uh, criticism was handed towards the disorganized plot uh, Dangerfield, Chase, and Murray's comedic performances are well-received, but the movie itself just doesn't go down well for people, and even though this was from the same minds of those who had helped craft Animal House, people just felt like this didn't live up to potential. So, Kevin, is this fair? Have you seen this movie before? What is your background with it? What's it like coming back to it today? Oh, boy. Have I seen this movie? I've seen this movie. I can't even imagine how many times. If I had to put a rough estimate, probably 30-ish or, or above. How did I see it? I saw it initially as a kid on Channel uh, CBS, so the Channel Two around here in uh, in Central. Well, I'm from Central Jersey. I remember seeing two scenes stand out to me: the Gopher and the Bishop being struck by lightning. And then, of course, getting older, going, "Wait a minute! There's a lot more to this movie than that." And then I saw, of course, the un the original version of it, and said, "Oh, okay, this is uh, that's it." And then you learn to lean into the quotes and the comedy. And I'm going to quote the great Judge Smales and go, top notch, top notch. Right. So uh, this is changing views have come come to it. So do you feel like this is a movie? You just mentioned the AFI. Maybe these movies were fine for the time. Is Caddyshack fine in 2023? No, it's not fine. It's magnificent. All right. Okay. Now, so you're well-versed in this movie. Let's go to somebody who has not seen this movie before. Chad, this is your first time. With Caddyshack, isn't it? This is, and I really hate this type of pressure because this is way, way up there on Russell's list. He's like, Chad, I'm going to put you on this episode. Please don't be mean to my baby. And here I am with this type of pressure. I I like golf movies from what I've seen. Uh, I like Ten Cup, even the more serious uh, Legend of Bagger Vance, love Happy Gilmore. So I was... I was prepared for a good time. I do not think this holds up. I think this is like a time capsule movie of if you showed this to Gen Z, whatever you think of Gen Z, I don't think it's going to go over well with the majority of them. I feel like Rodney Dangerfield is that quintessential 80s comedy. Like You had to grow up with it. And younger audiences, I, I don't know. I think you're going to get a lukewarm reception out of it. Well, that's interesting. Based based on Gen Z's musical taste, I could give two shits what they think. That is fair. That <laughs> is terrible what their opinions are, what's good and not. Uh, I will I will rip repartee with this. Rodney Dangerfield, these quotes have stood the test of time for 43 years for a reason. They are ubiquitous because they are funny. This is not meant to be a golf movie. And I find Tim Cup very boring. I find Ron Shelton films insanely boring i hated tin cup bull Durham is overrated in my book it's fine it's not the best baseball film but this is not a golf movie this 
is a cocaine-fueled acting crew given the best comedic performances ever to set foot in American cinema. Rodney Dangerfield is Rodney Dangerfield. And one of the best all-time villains is in this film. He's just never given credit as such. And that's Ted Knight. Ted Knight's comedic appeal in this is fantastic. He plays that waspy jerk to a T and nails it. Chevy Chase does his thing with physical comedy. Chevy Chase, very hit or miss for me. Vacation movies are pretty good. Some hold up, some don't. Uh, And of course, you've got Bill Murray, who nails it. Nails it. People said Meatballs was a coming out party. Stop it. That's ridiculous. Meatballs stinks. This film has everyone at their zenith doing comedic performances. And it is the absolute quintessential perfect storm of great casting and great performances. And then, listen, at the time, yeah, it, that those guys were at the top of their game. And it's more of a screwball comedy. But I'd ask you, Gen Zers, what piece of garbage comedy can you say in the last 20, 25 years that can you can even trot out against Caddyshack? The last funny film, and I, this is sad. This is what sixth state of a world we're in. Marvel movies are taking over, which is fine. They love a lot of the Marvel films. But this is not a comedy era. The last great comedy is Borat. And that's 2006, 17 years ago. There has not been a comedy of that magnitude. And I base, I base that off of laughs per minute. There are not, it's not a comedy like that where laughs per minute are clicking in at a high rate. There's not an American Pie kind of movie like that. Teen comedy, teen sex comedy. There's nothing. There's been no good comedies like that. The, the, com- the comedy genre is in decline right now. Nobody seems to want to make them. They don't make enough money to pursue. And a lot of the great funny people of this time are having to find themselves on streaming and other formats and things like that. So we had an amazing run on Saturday Night Live. And some of the people that came off of there are not getting their runs on on this like prior generations of seven Saturday Night Live alums have. And so I'll say I'll venture a guess. It's because of the current times where you can't say certain things and certain people will get offended. So you can't push the envelope near as much as you did. Some things, obviously, in retrospect, can't really say anymore. And that's fine. But it doesn't mean other another boundaries can't be tested in different forms of comedy. That's, that's probably people, part people, of it. People, people very, very afraid to go out there and make a true R-rated comedy because, again, someone may get butthurt and then write a Twitter post and there That's you probably, go. That could be part of it, in fairness, but I also think, simply put, people you so often will say, I'm not going to go pay you know, my money for a comedy. I'll wait for it to come out on streaming to watch it. And quite frankly, people show up and pay large money for action movie sequels of Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, etc. And and uh, this is what we've been handed. So we've, in some ways, you every time you buy a movie ticket, you cast a vote. And we as moviegoers have to support your comedies when they come to the theaters. So, But the problem is quality. People, people support it by seeing Barbie. Do you need to see that on a big screen? You do not. It's laughable with Oppenheimer, as I mentioned before. Do you need to see that on a big screen? It was, I even laughed harder when he said, come out and see an IMAX 70 millimeter. You do not need to see that. The bomb scene is fine. It's not necessary for an IMAX. So people vote. You're right. People vote with their wallet, but people are voting in different ways. Go ahead, see a Marvel film for 15 bucks. It's worth it on the big screen. Barbie, no. 
Not really. But again, if a movie's funny enough or it's going to grab you enough in the trailers, you got my 15 bucks. Doesn't matter what kind of theme it is. If it's great or looks good, excuse me, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, Caddyshack, I'm going to be more towards where Kevin was on this one. I love the movie Caddyshack. I was introduced to it as a child. I loved it. And I did not know. I think I probably got the TV edit for many years, like Kevin said. And, you know, it only got better. It grew with me as I got older. I noticed progressively more and more jokes in there. I came to appreciate the performances of different characters at different parts of my life. This movie has phenomenal rewatch value. There are small things in the performances that are being captured here on film that uh, just you don't get on a first watch. And so actually, I'm going to defend Chad here a little bit and say, I don't know how I would feel about it if I just came to it and just watched it for my first time cold here in, you know, my late 30s and just came came to it right now. So I, I will say this is the kind of movie that thrives on rewatch. It's this movie that thrives on sitting around with your buddies laughing. It's the movie that for me, I have very fond memories of my dad sitting there laughing hysterically at these things. So there's a joy for me that extends to a lot of my friends. A lot of my comedy sensibility has helped shape through some of the great comic comedic performances in movies like this and particularly within this movie. So um, I'm, I'm going to be unabashed here and say, I absolutely love this movie. I watched it three times in preparation for this podcast. I truly enjoy <laughs> I, I truly enjoy it. Um, and I enjoy preparing for this show. I enjoy all the movies we do, but I particularly enjoy this one. It makes me sad that we got to 227 episodes in before we got to cover this one. So I am psyched. And there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen Caddyshack before, plus not necessarily the biggest point here, but go ahead, see it. You owe it to yourself to see it. And... Uh, we will be back after these messages. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we are back. And for those who haven't seen this movie, this is your final warning. There are spoilers that lie ahead. So, Chad, for those who haven't seen Caddyshack since 1980, do you want to refresh people's memories? <laughs> Danny Noonan is a caddy at Bushwood Country Club trying to earn money for college. He learns of a caddy scholarship and wins the tournament, but decides to cheat on his girlfriend which, with Judge Smale's promiscuous niece, Lacey, gets busted and has his scholarship revoked. Meanwhile, an uncouth but talented golfer named Al goads Judge Smales into a, into a $20,000 bet on a doubles game. Al and Ty Webb, the man whom Danny caddies, team up against Smales and Dr. Beeper, a doctor who consistently neglects his responsibilities for the love of the game. Same time, an unstable groundskeeper named Carl Spackler is hunting a destructive gopher, and his attempts to destroy the rodent escalate throughout the film. 
Al gets hurt during the game, which has ballooned to a $40,000 bet. Danny takes Al's place and finds himself with an all-important putt to tie the game. Al once again provokes Smales into raising the bet, makes it eighty grand for Danny to sink the putt. Danny misses, but at that instant, Carl blows up the gopher holes, and the trimmers send Danny's ball into the hole. Al calls on his muscle to collect, and Judge Smales runs away. Our favorite puppet dances, having escaped Carl's destruction. I don't know if I would call him her his girlfriend. They were an official, and here's my evidence. Where he she thinks she's pregnant, she goes, It may not be yours. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's pretty casual about it. Yeah. I don't think I don't think that guy said that they're exclusive. That so. was such a weird subplot. I'm like, why? Why have that? By the way, as much as I love this film, I love I love that we call it that doesn't happen on my shows. Explain to me why in the living hell she's dancing around the seventeenth hole at nighttime. And no one's there to see this, but Dandy so happens to be on the golf course that late. Why is she dancing around in her nightgown on if a you, course If you don't want to be pregnant and you find out you're not pregnant, you'll dance anywhere. I'm sure this is only one of many places she went dancing throughout the night. So, Well, tanks for nuts in. <laughs> it's the happy Gilmore meet on the 17th hole at midnight scene. <laughs> also, Sprinklers come also on. they just kept the cameras rolling for a lot of the stuff. There's improv, and unfortunately, the actress who plays this uh, character is, later is diagnosed with schizophrenia and struggles. So maybe she's having a little bit of a mental lapse out there. So, oh, so that's she only made two films, that and Tron. That's what happened to her. She, uh, sorry, I take Animal that. House. No, Lacey. No, yeah, yeah. Lacey Underall was in Tron in this. Yeah, so she was Animal House, obviously the, the underage girl. So yes. she had schizophrenia. That's why we've never seen her since. Pretty much. Yes. Huh. Yeah. But anyway, after that downer note. We're all getting laid. That's the way this movie ends. So uh, fun, fun, fun fact. I, I watched this surprise uh, many a time. I watched it on a plane on the airlines network. And of course, I didn't know this, but it, it was the edited version. And do you know what they say instead of, hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. It's, hey, yes. everybody, we're all going to take a shower. It's yep. so it's so. I don't even that know. Was, that was their edit? It's so that is bad. such a strange edit. Yes. It's, um, I, I don't know what you're thinking for trying to fix that one up. I think 90s edits are hilarious, but this is pre-90s edit. I don't know. This is just another level. Of, I hadn't seen an edit that funny in a while. Like It's just like, I don't know. I, I probably was, as a kid, even sat there and said, like, that's a strange line to end the movie on. So, All-time edits still has to go to The Rock. For winners go home and date the prom queen. <laughs> uh, anyway, so this movie is based on Brian Doyle Murray's experience as a caddy at the Indian Hill Club in Winnetka, Illinois. When he was younger, his brothers Bill Murray and John Murray and Harold Ramis also are all work on golf courses, caddies, etc. Ramis's brother Ed actually won a golf scholarship, like Michael Keith's character in this movie. So Ramis even met Bill Murray working on a golf course. So this is written from something that was close near and dear to these writers they're coming off animal house kevin where are we at this point in time and just tell us how this movie kind of just came to be cocaine lots <laughs> and lots and lots of cocaine that would rival the 86 mets that's where it came to be douglas kenny by the way who wrote this film also appearing in animal house did you know that did you know what role he played i'm gonna ruin it for your fans no spoilers here he plays stork what the hell are we supposed to do you moron that guy at the end of caddyshack after they did the pre the tour he and chevy chase hiking up a volcano in hawaii and he fell into the volcano high as co on cocaine chevy chase quite tight-lipped about it 
Did he fall? Was he pushed? I don't know, but Chevy lives. Chevy Chase lives to continue to make films like Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and what's the other one he did? Nothing, no, no better dead. Oh, what's that? Nothing but trouble. Oh, that yes. wasn't that. Yeah, that one wasn't necessarily his best for sure. Chad, you were a little bit hard on Blazing Saddles at times for lacking structure. Well, this takes structure and then smashes it with a sledgehammer. Uh, we have a series of vignettes, more so of things that you know Ramis and his writers, Doug Kenny and uh, Brian Dwyer Murray has gone through. So tell us, how's this going down for you as a story? Like, I mean, is this is this what's I, I detect hesitancy? Is it the lack of structure that's working for you or working against you? I mean, I gave Blazing Saddles a four and a half out of five. It's not like I crucified that film. Love the film. It's yes. just the final whatever 15 minute dance number. Eh, cut it down a little bit. Yeah, th- this movie, it's like one third of the way we have an actual plot and then after afterwards you're right vignettes skits whatever they're fine the the bishop skit is hilarious i love that entire subplot of him just throughout the movie uh his little are you catholic yes too bad (laughs) and moving on uh the fact that they use music from the ten commandments and that that actor was in the ten commandments that's a cool little scene so I I dig it. I I'm fine with funny vignettes. Okay, okay. So before we go too far, what is it that worked for you here then? Like what are some of the things that as a new fresh viewer you go like, oh I didn't expect that or haha, that's very funny. What worked for me the best was Rodney Den- Dangerfield and just the ridiculous things that he had. His little golf bag that just the pneumatic golf ba- or golf clubs, fantastic. His boat awesome just causing chaos and he didn't get enough opportunity in my opinion to do that like he's at his best when he's antagonizing smales those are the two dynamics that i wanted the most i actually really like chevy chase's humor here i'm with kevin he's not always a hit for me the physical comedy but the dry humor i i found great so there were interactions that i wanted more of i guess that i didn't get as much we only see uh, bill murray interacting with chevy chase once in this entire movie you guys know why though right because they punched each other out at, at snl yeah and that was a uh, we got to get these two together in a scene for at least one part because of the two biggest stars at the time and that was all like all right here you go improv something up and, and done so, yeah yeah and there's a cut scene by the way that like involves you know, Bill Murray coming up on a very strange looking lawnmower and, um, you know, they end up cutting this out of the movie. It gets on a TV airing when they cut the baby Ruth scene, which, by the way, the baby Ruth is another one of those infamous uh, moments where, you know, that was actually based on a real life incident that Brian Doyle Murray had in high school. So um, all these funny things that are happening are real things that happened. You know, I mean, Harold Ramis actually early in his golf career hit somebody in the junk with the, with yes. the golf ball. So, I mean, it, uh, th- you know, Maggie is a character based on Brian Doyle Murray's character. So all this stuff is coming through here, but, uh, we almost got a second scene with Bill Murray and Chevy chase. And, uh, it was funny. Chevy was saying like, Bill's a, he calls him Billy. He's like, Billy's a dangerous guy in comedy. I, you know, the grass was kind of wet and I had my cleats on. And I said, I can't get up on this lawnmower thing, you know, so go turn in real slow. And of course, when I started to get up on it, he turned as sharply as he could, and I, I nearly fell off. And there's, if you see this apparatus, you can see the cutscenes on YouTube. 
there's like these open blades all over the place. It does look like a very dangerous contraption. He said he had to jump, jump way out to clear the blades of the lawnmower. So Bill just going at it dangerously with reckless abandon. And so, uh, you know, it's just, you're right. Uh, these guys are powerhouses, but they were professional in this and they seem to do a great job. The scene where they share is hilarious. Any conflict that they had before didn't seem to come through, even though people were kind of expecting that clash to come back. It's funny before you just talk about that that scene with the with the quote from AFI. It's again just proving how out of touch AFI is. That's that's probably the seventy fourth funniest line for me in that film. There are many, many, many other funny lines. Top of my head, hey, you want your driver? Oh, he's not my type. I mean, that's way funnier than just the whole Cinderella story bit. It's just quoted because every jerk off goes to the who goes golfing says that while they're practicing their swing or with their buddies or whatever. They're way better. That was a strange choice. I think of uh, we have the Ted Knight meme of right. well, well, we're, we're waiting. waiting. There you go. Like, he's got so many great lines. That one I had to go back. I had to go back and watch it. I'm like, where was this even said? I could, oh man, all, it wasn't all improv. Oh no, no, no! I, I laughed hysterically when I first saw it. I don't know. It goes with the sight gag too, though. I mean, he's like taking, he's trimming the not trimming. He's just obliterating these flowers that are in a row and just poof, knocking them out. So, I mean, part of it's what he is doing while he is saying that too. Which, to your point, Kevin, may not get you on the quotes list, but it got a hard laugh from me certainly at the time. <laughs> Even the line after that scene, say, like, Carl, what are you doing? I was unavoidably detained. Like, there you see, that's funnier than the whole monologue. That whole cinema story, here it goes to. It's cute, but is it is it admitting laughter? Again, I mean, we all know comedy subjective, but it's. it's it got it for maybe me. Maybe it's because. It got it for okay, me. Okay, all right. Well, then, listen, mission accomplished. Yeah. Mission accomplished. This was eye opening for me. I feel like Adam Sandler has based his entire career off of Carl Spackler. Like, it just seems like he's doing a I different that. version. That does sound pretty but less funny, but less funny version. Fair. And Bill Murray was working on this character at the Groundlings. I mean, it is it is partially based on a crossing guard that he had as a young boy who just he thought was an idiot. And it's amazing how when a comedian, somebody truly gifted, comes into contact with somebody, just an idiot, and the amazing influence that that can then have on a comedian's career. So. Uh, he would say, all right, kids, move along, move along. Come on, get across the street, get across the street. So um, this, this is something that was partially cooked before he got here. And they just kept the cameras rolling on him. I mean, he was on fire. Uh, you know, I think Cindy, um, Cindy Morgan was saying, like, they just kept, he just kept doing hilarious things. And editing this movie down must have been quite a task. It was super long. And it totally ended up changing direction. Three hour long cut. Yeah, yeah. Three hour long cut, which... Chad, do you need? And I would have watched it. Yeah, I'll watch it I, right I, now. I honestly would watch that guy. So Chad no. shaking his head in dismay. But, um, no. no, me and Dustin will forever be in the ninety-minute camp. Like that is perfection. Okay, uh, but this movie was more caddy-centric, and you cast Chevy Chase, you cast Bill Murray. Sorry, you cast Bill Murray. You cast uh, Rodney Dangerfield, and Ted Knight. The adult characters are just quite frankly hilarious, talented people. I don't want to watch a movie about these caddies. They're okay. But I mean, they are not the entree for me here. Are they for you, Kevin? No. What are you kidding me? No, it's look, Anunzio is funny. Uh, no, it, it's he's funny because he's, he's that typical Italian dick. Play, play it well. 
there is no one else in there caddy wise. It's another another one who steals scenes. Lou the caddy master. What's that sign say? No bare feet. What's that sign say? No fighting. You owe me one gumball machine. That line way more quoted than the aforementioned Cinderella story for me. And uh, just a uh, another one. Your honor, your honor. <laughs> that that uh, it's uh, you. Uh, yeah, the, the caddies were all just superfluous. And you're right. No, no, no one's ever quoting them. I guess. Th- I guess the uh, you know. Do you do drugs, Danny? Yes, good man. Every day. Yeah, every day. So yeah. <laughs> so I mean, uh, I guess that line gets quoted a little bit. But to your point, uh, they are vehicles to set up everybody else. Ramus told Cindy Morgan, you know, don't try and make the joke when improving. Just set up the joke. And uh, I think some of the people who were acting were disappointed to see their roles diminished, as you would expect when you're handed a script you think you're the star and you quickly realize you're nowhere near the most talented person in the room in fact you're probably just trying to keep up but it's a it all works for me here so i mean uh you know i think there's also some harpo marks in carl spackler's character you talked about talking about bill murray influencing sandler well that's silent there's a physical nature to what he's doing that i think is is being channeled from some of that goofiness from before as well. So I don't know. I see, I see that's high praise for me though. I I certainly like Harpo. So I could see the uh, correlation. Yeah. Now we, this movie is heavily improv, but I don't want to take that away from, I think, I think Harold Ramis said like when you improv, people say that it's just, Oh, you don't know what you're doing or, you know, like you're just goofing off. It's not, it's not you, you curate things, you set things up and you give people direction. And then it's a really great way to mine comedy and get laughs and I got to give Ramis a lot of credit. This is his directorial debut. And this movie, he gives the actors who are massively talented more than in a lot of rope. I mean, he just gives them the whole, all of the rope. And I just got to say, I think this movie would have been a blast to have been on. Kevin, can you imagine just being around all of this electric comedic power? Funny you mentioned that. Someone asked, what's the one film you would love to have been on set for? And that's it. This is it right here. Because of all the all the shenanigans you, re- you read about, I mean, they are literally flying people in with cocaine. There are line items in the script for cocaine for Caddyshack. Not saying I would imbibe. I'm just saying hanging out with Rodney off screen. For example, read it in the book. The guy who played, um, oh my God, Spaulding. Yeah. Rodney would grab him to his motel room and he would make him listen to Rodney's act and go, what do you think, kid? Huh? Is that funny? Should I cut that joke? I am all in on with stuff like that. Rodney Dangerfield, he lost money making this film. I don't know if you guys knew that or not as well. He had gigs in Vegas. He had to cancel the gigs to do the film. He lost more money in Vegas doing his gigs than he did getting uh, from Caddyshack. But of course... This propels him to the stratosphere where he gets easy money next. Back to and school. Then back to schools after that, yeah. And then, of course, uh, he decides to take a hard left turn into garbage cinema and makes ladybugs and uh, meet Wally Sparks and other stuff. But uh, the, but back to school, easy money. I mean, pick your, pick your poison, both both fantastic comedies. But, yeah, that this is one film. You could walk in any like different clique. And just want to hang out with everybody. I want to hang out with Spaulding. I want to hang out with Nunzio. I definitely want to hang out with Cindy Morgan in her prime. Bill Murray, obviously. And again, Roddy Dangerfield. And watching Ted Knight kind of just conform 
because he's a real trained actor. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was too close for comfort on at this time. I don't recall, but to have him watch this zoo as someone who you know took this seriously, I would have loved to watch him. It was kind of a jaw agape as the shenanigans wore on, and these guys are again writing the scripts and scenes on uh, on coke that's for sure and you actually just want to harken back to one of your other points about improv and how it can work improv cannot work in a lot of cases and i'm going to give you a perfect case in point fellas anchorman 2 what a turd and that was damn near all heavily improv it it was disappointing what a not even comparing to the original because that's like comparing naked gun 1 and naked gun 3 which rewatched naked gun 3 the other day boy does it stink never really liked it to begin with but the drop off from one to two for Anchorman is so bad. And again, you need to have some kind of confines with the script, even if you're an improv heavy casting uh, troupe. I'll go ahead and mention it. I was going to mention it later in the show, but there is no greater fall off for a sequel than Caddyshack to Caddyshack. A hundred percent. That is the that is by far the biggest drop off. I know you haven't seen it, Chad, but just don't. I mean, just shield yourself. I mean, it. it is truly... Hey, disappointing. I wish there was a stronger word. Very disappointed. People, people ask, what's your favorite movie? And I say Caddyshack. People say, what's your least favorite movie? And a lot of times I say Caddyshack too. It's of all time. It's a very reasonable answer. So I, <laughs> I mean, uh, it hurts. Uh, one other, I read Rodney Dangerfield's autobiography and he, they brought him the script to read in a hotel room. He reads his, uh, reads his air. He goes, huh, this is shit, and throws it in the trash can doesn't do it it took chevy chase a ton of money to even do those three or four scenes he was in for caddyshack too because he also made this is terrible no one wanted to come back obviously that's why dan Aykroyd was in there for bill murray robert stack was in there for ted knight i don't know if ted knight had died at that point or not but i mean it is an egregious just stegosaurus turd it is a blight american society and anyone who tries to even say yeah, it's not that bad is lying. Oh to no! Themselves. I mean, if uh, if you were to ever, you know, how, like Halloween retconned everything else and just got rid of like like just kept the first two movies and got rid of all the bad stuff. That like like that's that's what you need to do to Caddyshack too. Just retcon it out. Just make it not exist. So Halloween two is not that great. It's okay. It's fine. Again, it maybe suffer from a lot of drop off because the first is so excellent, which is why. The first Halloween reboot is so great because they're like, ow, all that stuff that happened after one, eh, it didn't happen. And they make their own tangent and I guess metaverse from there. Yeah. And, and that's, that's why it works so well. The sequels to those don't work so well. So Bill Murray filmed all of his scenes, uh, even including the one with Chevy that we mentioned earlier in just six days, yep. which is amazing. Like I just, we've talked about him throwing fire. I mean, again, I just, it's, I just wanted to say like, this is lightning. This is just, <laughs> it's like a lightning storm. It's just unbelievable. Chevy is one of these abrasive actors. I don't know how much you know, but uh, Chevy Chase has a tendency. He's a jerk. So I mean, yep. he's funny. He's wait, hilarious. wait, wait. You didn't say. You, you didn't say. Spoiler alert. Oh yeah, it's, it's not. It's not a spoiler <laughs> on that one. I think we all know. Do uh, you can Google the sad stories? Uh, somebody who makes me so happy on film. <laughs> you sit there and you read the things that they do off film. Um, He's always a jerk, but when he's a jerk on camera, there's just something about his sarcasm, his his wit, his dry delivery, as Chad said, is so funny. And mm-hmm. it's just funny to read these stories off the screen with Chevy. You know, he and Ted Knight didn't get along. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield and Ted Knight did not get along. Ted Knight, I think, had a hard time dealing with the low structure of 
everything that's around. And in fairness, you guys mentioned this guy is a legitimate actor. This is not um, this is not his scene. And yet he's so right for this movie. Chad, this reminds me of, you know, probably I think it was molded after this character. But do you remember the R.J. Fletcher and UHF that was done by Kevin McCarthy? I think oh, he's, absolutely. Yes. I think he's channeling his Ted Knight here in this movie pretty, pretty well. Like we have a good villain here, don't we? I can see it. Yeah. He's, he's one of my favorite parts of this movie. He has, he steals every scene that he's in. I, I love the overreaction. Uh, we didn't get to do my favorite comedian on screen, but I, I really like Lewis black and he's got a little bit of that outrage of Lewis black in him. And yeah, I, I had so much fun watching him. You know, I love a bad guy. I, I love a good villain, whether they're goofy, like Smales here, or if they're just completely evil. But he does a fantastic job. And to Kevin's point, he's not partaking in any of this. We literally, I can't think of another movie where we actually see a producer doing cocaine in the movie. Like he's in the background doing a line of coke during the party scene. They would race golf carts on the course and like crash them into each other and, you yeah. know, like dangerous, dangerous stuff here. And the, the producer was right out there with him doing it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the scar scene of I'm surrounded by idiots. Like that's what he had to be thinking. But he, it doesn't really come across here. No, no, it doesn't. But I mean, it's all orchestrated chaos, I think so. But Chevy. Chevy walks right up to Ted Knight when he sees him and like messes his hair up. And like Ted Knight's the kind of goes around fixing his hair up real neat and clean all the time and making sure his hair is just so. So got off to an immediate bad start. I love this story. So Ted Knight comes out outraged to Ramus and he goes, that man is disgusting. He is just vile. And Ramus is like, what's going on? He goes, Rodney, well, slow down. What do you do? He goes, he left. He left this big giant turd in my trailer. And it was hot. It was it's Florida. It's hot where this is filmed. And so um, it's like it's just the smell's been in there. It's awful and it's just terrible. And um, Ramus uh, watches him storm off and angry. At, you know, again, this just shows you the troubles that Ted Knight's having. And then he comes up and Chevy Chase comes up. He goes, "You're not going to believe what Rodney, or sorry, what Ted Knight just told me." He goes, "Rodney Dangerfield just took a crap in his trailer and left it there." And then Chevy just smiled and pointed to himself, like, like. Like, like that was me. So of course it was. <laughs> um, again, these things are funny when they don't happen to you. So, um, but Chevy is also just really great at the improv stuff. He he said on Saturday Night Live, I found the strategy when doing weekend update and things that just pretended like my best buddies, my seven best friends, were just were there. And what would I do to make them laugh? And I brought that here. And he says he loves working with Harold Ramis. He said Harold Ramis gave him. Clark Griswold and he gave him Ty Webb here and it's just one of those things where the direction that Harold gave him seemingly seemed like it was there but I gotta give Chevy credit too he takes that framework that Harold gives him and he just mines so much gold out of it uh Kevin you mentioned that you're hit and miss on on Chevy Chase I actually think for, as far as you're talking about quotability he's a pretty good quote machine in this movie is he not he very, he very much is you do drugs every day, Danny? Yeah, every day. Is this Russia? This isn't Russia, is it? Okay, good. Thought so. Uh, even the subtle one, I tell you what I love. My favorite Chevy scene is not a quote. It's where he walks by. The people are walking by in the club, and he's doing the thing with the tongue waggle, the, <laughs> flicking his tongue back and forth at them, and then he starts pulling his zipper up and down. His, his 
hot women walk by. And um, I, it's just, you're not good. You're just, you're just terrible, Al. It's just, you're right. The dryness is great. And he's he's fantastic. With, he's got a lot of great quotes in there. A flute without holes is not a flute. It's a Danish. You know, and a donut, <laughs> sorry, a donut without holes is a Danish. A flute without holes is not a flute. No, 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 no. That, that again, higher, way higher ranked than the Cinderella story, I say. How do yeah. you measure yourself up with other golfers? By, By height. height. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I'm no slouch myself. Oh, don't don't trouble yourself. Tell yourself, sure, Judge. You're a terrific slouch. Yeah, it's just he's he's also just outstanding here. I thought it was really interesting to see the stories of Rodney Dangerfield off camera. As you mentioned, he's kind of a newcomer to films here. This is his first movie. And I thought it was funny that where Harold would say Ramus would say action and then nothing happened. And uh, he would say action. And uh, he'd say, Rodney, we need you to go. He goes, do my bit. Yes, it's OK. OK, Rodney, do your bit. And then they would go. So it kind of came a thing that Harold would say, OK, Rodney, do your bit instead of action. So it's really funny. He he thrives as a stand up comedian off of the audience's reaction on him. And he thinks it's not going well. Everybody on set's not really laughing as he's working and he's getting stressed out. He's even sweating. Like he would, he'd sit there and say, like, I'm not doing well here. And people would say, you're killing it, Rodney. You're killing it. And the crew cannot laugh. Otherwise, they're going to mess up the laugh track. Like they can't, like the audio track. So they can't do that. But uh, it just shows you the difference in being on stage and the comedic nature of what Rodney does. I'll be honest with you, none of that insecurity shows at all here. To me, I just think he's wildly hilarious. I don't know if it's just, again, good editing, enough repetitions, but I just think it's funny to see that someone is so good who is literally stealing the movie, increasing his role, they're rewriting the script to get him in it more, doesn't necessarily just, you know what, I'm crushing this, because <laughs> he is. Yeah, that's a, that's a good story. I read that too in the books. And again, as a comic, you're like you're looking for that immediate reaction to play off of it, and when everyone's sitting there stone-faced, he's sweating bullets and thinking, oh my God, I'm bombing. And he's doing anything but. So we did talk about this movie. You don't really want it to be about the caddies, but how do you feel about Michael O'Keefe, who's technically your protagonist here, Chad? I I always have a problem. I know you guys are saying, okay, open relationship, whatever, with his girlfriend, but he, he just straight up cheats on her with absolutely no consequence whatsoever. There's... There's the pregnancy thing. And then when she comes clean and says, okay, I'm not pregnant. He just says, well, I've been kind of a creep and that's it. That's what we do with this guy is he just says, I've been kind of a creep too. And everyone's okay. And it just works out for him. I, I don't like this kid. I don't like him at all. I would have been fine. Had we just written those caddy eliminates the name caddy shack, but I would have been fine eliminating all these caddies altogether. So Chad just wants golf course. Instead of yes. Caddyshack. So. I don't I don't need this kid. Or Bushwood. So let's just state the obvious here, fellas. This is not a plot driven film. Yeah. This is a te- this is a ten pole for jokes. We are not here to ah I like this character. I didn't like this character. Who cares? It, it make you laugh. That's all the framework for comedies or jokes. That's the yes. foundation. Thank Did you. it make you laugh? Mission accomplished. I just need a bare bones plot to get me through. The problem, though, is when it's not funny, Napoleon Dynamite, listen up, and the jokes are terrible, then the plot had better be something there, and that's the problem. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. The jokes, I don't care about plot. 
I need laughs per minute is what I'm here for. And that's what this film delivers in spades. Well, you can't care about plot. The entire ending doesn't work. Like he's putting for a tie. Yeah, it's it's pure deba- it's pure shenanigans. It's pure nonsense with the ending, how it just goes, the explosions, like, oh that counts good enough. Uh, after a good fifteen Mississippi after the, 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 the ball falls to the edge of the cup, it doesn't fall in. Do the jokes hit? Yep. That's yeah, there's there's no way Smales is even taking that bet. At worst, yeah. Yeah. He, he breaks even. They're putting for tie, and then he's all of a sudden, okay, let's put eighty grand on sinking this putt that doesn't go in. Push up my glasses and say, ah, golf rules. It's twelve seconds, and yeah. it can't be influenced by trimmers. Whatever, like, yeah. yeah, none of that makes any sense, and it doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's a fun scene. You throw in eighteen twelve overture. Good times. Absolutely. Moose Rocco helped the judge find his checkbook. Yeah. Uh, we're talking perfection here, kids. I'm so glad that you said that, Kevin, because you can write a drama comedy where you are very story and character related and really based. Uh, but generally, like, like the odd couple, I think, is the one that thrives off of character like development and like, you know, these characters. But I mean, there is a dramatic sense to those comedies, but equally as successful and every bit as good is can you create a vehicle for the comedy to come into? And as you mentioned, laughs per minute and make wall to wall jokes. Can you design your comedy with enough talent and different kinds of laughs? There's stuff going on in the background. There's little stuff like in the restaurant, like when Spalding goes like, are you going to eat your fat? Like, I mean, like, it's just like, I mean, <laughs> another line I use all the time too. I mean, there's just like these little things that you're not going to get on the, even the third viewing. So, I mean, it's one of those things that I think Mel Brooks is really good at this. I've mentioned this before, just a little while ago, even on the blazing saddles one when we did this, there's a, there's a difference. Like you said, Kevin, when someone comes up short and then they just come out there or they're relying too much on. I'm, I'm going to say Bruce Almighty is one of these movies where people just say like, we, like we've got Jim Carrey, we're okay, and you know it's not. It's not just okay in that point because there's not enough talent around him. It's not the director's over constraining what he's doing, and it doesn't capture what he's doing quite like probably earlier performances of his. So I think I got to give Harold Ramis a ton of credit here to be able to allow people to have their wild freedom, but also to make it all come together. I, I do maintain it must have been a real headache to edit a three and a half hour movie down to the format that we have today. So, but when you get all that content, he was also not handcuffed to the script. And, you know, he let it, he let it evolve and found what the comedy of the movie would be. So you probably could even remake this movie into a different movie. Hopefully you would name it something different and you probably have a movie about caddies and it would probably do its own sort of purpose, but so much credit for just evolving and finding where the sweet spot of the ball was uh, for this. Or uh, he was one with the ball. He was the ball. So be the ball, Danny. So Chad, you've seen some Harold Ramis flicks in the past for sure here. Uh, This is, this is animal house is a big one. We got National Lampoon's Vacation, Groundhog Day, you know, Multiplicity. We covered Ice Harvest, which that's at the end of his career. That feels a little bit out of character with some of these other ones. But he's also the writer for Stripes, Ghostbusters, Back to School. I'm not as hard on meatballs as Kevin is. I will admit it goes down better as a kid, like as a younger person than as I've gotten older. It's harder to return I to. I saw it as a kid and it sucked as a kid. I oh, hate to, I okay. cringe to think what it was like as an adult. 
I think um, Bill Murray can, I, I don't know, a little bit of Bill Murray goes a long way with me. So um, he steals the show there for sure. Um, I can see why people were captivated with him. But anyway, Harold Ramis here, early in his career as a director, Chad, this guy is like a comedy juggernaut. Tell us about your take on how he's running it here. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I Harold <laughs> Ramis is someone that just does not click with me as a director. I, I've come to find out. I just don't like the majority of what he does. And I I can't put my finger on what it is. Like I look out of this list and probably it's just really fond memories of Elizabeth Hurley, but bedazzled is what stands out to me of like, okay, this is She is very pretty in that movie, in fairness. So Yeah, yeah, that's overly distracting compared to year one. That was the Michael Sarah movie, right? That's the last movie he did. I was gonna give him the grace of not mentioning that movie well, so i mean his 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 list very much falling apart big time let me i, I have it right i think there. ice harvest i think ice harvest is the pivot point where it's just like this isn't what you do this is an interesting thing in its own right this feels off base like i think he's off his own train at that point well you you got you guys forgot a lot analyze this analyze that i mean the first analyze this i don't know it's i was fine. not i was I was nonplussed. I didn't see the second one. Bedazzled. Who cares? I mean, Elizabeth Hurley's hot, but she's hot in everything she's done. Multiplicity. Did you guys see that? I didn't care to. Stuart nope. Smalley I saves did. his family. I did, did you guys forget about that one? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd like to, but I mean, multiplicity, I'll give. It's it's not on the level of his earlier work, but, you know, it's. Groundhog Day. I mean, people love that. I, love I don't. That. I do love Groundhog uh, Day. I've never been able to finish it. I don't know how it ends. Buddy, you and I really are simpatico. I find it so just. What's the what's the what's the so the, good? What's the magnetism that this film has? It's so it's a great idea, but I the, the where are the jokes? Where are we laughing? We're not. That's I rewatched it recently. I was very disappointed. Club Paradise never saw it. Vacation, you know, doesn't. It's still fun. The laughs are sparse. In the, until Cousin Eddie gets in the mix. There are some, there are some chuckles like, okay, ha, it's cute or it's funny. It's memorable. It's quotable. But it's not as funny. Like Again, laughs per minute. And, of course, Caddyshack. So he's got a lot of more, I dare say, more misses than hits. Okay. Wow. Okay. I think it just goes off at the end of his career. Like I feel like we talked about this with John Hughes. Like, awesome catalog. And the king then, of hit and miss. The king of hit and miss. He's 50% down the middle, John Hughes. And then towards the end of his career, just, uh, you know. After no, the- no, 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 no. Even John Hughes, prime John Hughes is not good. The Molly Ringwald trilogy, all of them are done on our podcast. All of them are terrible. Oh, no. Weird Science, terrible. Ferris oh, Bueller, is they no, off? Great. No, I, we- Ferris Bueller, great. Uncle Buck, great. But man, oh man, Weird Science is terrible. It's I love not Weird funny. Science. And, the, and again, the Molly Ringwald ones are all awful. Oh, they're all the 16 candles. Got the Breakfast Club, probably the worst of the bunch. Oh no, no. five stars. And pretty big, pretty big. Nope. I stand justified right now. Oh, you do. Oh, you, you found you found your you found your friend there, Chad, on on the Breakfast Club. <laughs> so I just well, think Plane Trains Automobiles is great though. From uh, Hughes, it's another one I just remembered at the last second. Plane Trains is fantastic. Old Hollywood stories. You know, I did want to bring this one up. So this one kind of made me sad. Cindy Morgan's character was kind of pressured into doing a, a nude scene. Like initially, Ramis just said, would you be interested in doing this? Part. And she said, no, I don't want to. And he said, uh, he said, okay. 
But the producer, John Peters, was very insistent. It's got to be a nude scene. She's got to be in this and, and, and nude. And so Harold Ramis says, I'm not I'm not doing that. And uh, John Peters really forced her to do it relatively quickly, uh, she, even though she was reluctant to do it. And uh, she was nervous to go through with it. But not only that, he then, uh, I guess, had Playboy come in to do a spread for the film. And, you know, he wanted her to pose nude. And so, like, using a f- lot of force here as a producer, John Peters is not a really nice guy, by all accounts, the people who work with him. These stories kind of made me sad a little bit. So, and then he married. And then he married Barbara Streisand, or dated her, I should say, at least. Okay. Well, nevertheless, I just th- these stories are. <laughs> these stories. You didn't are, know how to react. To that I don't one. know how. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's why we don't have Michelle Pfeiffer in this film, because they wanted her. They were insistent that she would need to do a nude scene, so she said, "Nope." You know, Cindy Morgan's still pretty awesome for the time. I mean, the character's not very likable, so it took me a, a long time. Actually, when you watch Why do you dislike her? Cindy Morgan's character, like when you don't when you don't like when you meet her? Why do you like why do you dislike Lacey Underall? He doesn't like oh. the floozy? Yeah, I was going to say yeah, she, she's very stuck up. She's just so pampered and like she's sheltered in this like wealthy environment and so she doesn't seem excited about anything she's just floating through life and you know she just um she is uh she's very apathetic to getting everybody else in trouble so she's only there for herself she just comes off as very selfish and self-centered which and bratty and spoiled which you know these are character traits that are hard to get behind when you actually see i think it helps when you actually see cindy morgan in interview who's not these things again it's an acting job so, I mean, uh, she's actually one of the more fun people, I think, when you watch the interviews about the making of the movie. I think she's one of the cooler people to hear talk about it. So, again, that's, as John Lovitz would say, that's acting! Man, you are insanely hard on her. Like, her role was just be the nympho, and that's what she did. She's from Upper Drury, Upper Manhattan, as uh, <laughs> Dr. Beeper said. So, you got to take it what it is. I thought she was, yeah, like, she's out there throwing around, guys. That's what That's what she likes to do. Not going to fault the lady for doing that. I think. I think when you watch this movie, you're geared to like the sweetheart Irish girl who likes Danny from the more humble side of things. Oh, terrible accent! See, I didn't like her. Oh, terrible accent! Yeah, I, I'm. A, I'm with you, man. I thought Cindy. I thought uh, Maggie was just. Eh. I mean, everyone. You know. Eh. What? What? What's her main thing? Why don't you come in and help me soak me holy cards? That's her. That's her claim to fame. <laughs> I'm not I'm not on board with she this. She had one. more part of the movie and she was actually an exchange student. I had always had the theory that she was the Irish groundskeeper's daughter, who Bill Murray I loved the dialogue between this like we got to kill all the golfers. Uh yeah, but if we kill all the golfers, uh we'll be yeah. <laughs> so I'll be able to throw the key. That was a Scottish accent though. She was doing yeah. a brogue accent, so it's good. No, it's different fair. countries. It's fair, but they just cut that out so there's no explanation for it. So a little bit awkward there. Why? Well, it's because of Bill Murray. They were trying. He said the uh, a lot of the women at the golf course that he caddied at were Irish. I don't know why you have to bring that detail into your film when this person cannot do an Irish accent. But yeah, that that was the reasoning. I know why. Cocaine. <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So the whole movie took eleven weeks to do, which it's that's pretty quick in terms of by today's standards, anyway. And I just thought it was really awesome. 
more Ramus stories. Everyone kept calling him Mister and Sir, and he kind of thought that was cool. And then he realized, oh yeah, they're they're giving me a hard time for first time director. So um, this does sound like a very fun environment to be on. Uh, like you said, Kevin, it just seems like a fun atmosphere. I. Ramus thought his first day as directing was going to be a total disaster. He had a local actor who was a former Korean vet trying to do lines, which ended up being it's a long speech. It's the Dalai Lama speech. Well, at least I got that going for me. Uh, which is nice. Yeah, it is a very good scene. This wasn't going to be Bill Murray initially, and Ramus struggled the whole day, first day with him. And uh, oh, man, Bill Murray, again, back to that sense of danger with him. That, that's a real pitchfork really close to that guy's throat. And you're kind of sitting there going like, uh, <laughs> that, that, that little bit of discomfort that he brings is, is just makes him such a good humorist. He's so funny. So no argument, Chad, what about the setting here? We're filming this in Florida. It is chosen to be shot at a course that does not have tropical trees on it, meaning palm trees and stuff, et cetera, to give it the feel that it could be elsewhere. Do you like where we shot Bushwood? Yeah, they said they were going for a Midwest feel. I didn't, I didn't quite get that. Get that. I didn't. Get I didn't that. get the Midwest part at all. I, I I just thought it's a generic place in America. They didn't give any kind of any kind of uh, venue description whatsoever. If I had to guess, wasn't it? God, was it Nebraska for some reason? Yeah, I yeah, I think you're right. Wrong. I think I think you are right about that. I don't understand why it had to be there. And honestly, the house has made me think we were in California, but they were. Well, <laughs> those may have been shot in California. I know the golf course stuff was shot in what, right outside of Lauderdale, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because they could see the explosions from uh, Fort Lauderdale. It did, pilot cause, called it, in. it did cause them problems, though. There was a hurricane that caused, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. the delay in shooting. You had worms were all over their uh, floor that had uh, come from the from the hurricane there. They also had trouble with airlines. It was too close to an airport. So in movies, it's frustrating. You have to make sure that there's no planes going this way, that way, this way, and that way. And so they had to constantly keep uh, putting up with interference from that. I thought it was interesting. They didn't, the pool scene with the famous baby Ruth scene, they had to go to another country club because that country club didn't have a pool. If What kind of self-respecting country club doesn't have a pool in Florida? That's what I thought. They also said the golf course, they had they, they didn't tell them they're going to blow it up because every place they did tell them they're going to go blow up a golf course. They're like, well, you can't do that here. And of course, they, tell, they don't tell them for this one. And then... <laughs> Here we are. They they did build up a mound to like blow up sacrificial dirt for that. But they totally, like I said, they were having golf cart like races and stuff in pitch black with those. Those don't have lights on them back in the 70s either, by the way. So like they're tearing up the field and running amok on on the golf course they're at. Again, I'm sure they get a good bit of business from just simply being the golf course that Caddyshack was filmed in. So I'm sure it all panned out for them in the long run. But well, the real ones in what, Illinois? Like they have a rule where you can't mention Caddyshack. I don't know. I don't, that one I, don't I hear that. that one I did not come across. I know there's a restaurant if you like this. So if you the, the Murray Brothers, a, yeah. So the Murray Brothers have a Caddyshack restaurant. I believe that is in also in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Yeah. What I'd read is uh, the people that these were modeled after, especially the old people, because I uh, the the older folks that are the one that hits it into the water, the grandma that just goes wee. And that's fun. <laughs> that's I, a beach, John. I knew instantly. I said, "These are these are actual people. This is what's going to be." And I guess descendants are still at that country club, and they're still ticked off 
about being portrayed in this movie. Like it was obvious that it was some relative of theirs. It wasn't the scene where they were golfing, but the scene where they had come over to Judge Smales and they were yeah. waiting for the tea and the butler is knocked over, uh, over the top railing and then all the tea Maybe. stuff just falls down on the floor. And they go, like that old lady going like, I guess the tea's ready. <laughs> that must be the that must be the tea. Yeah, that must I be use the tea. All the time. Oh, it's so good for an old lady vacant actress. That's just such a great job. And by the way, Mrs. Smales is also deliciously awful. Like she just nails like you know the uh, the baby Ruth faint scene that she does. The um, come loo for my stretch marks. Yeah, the classic. Mm. Yeah, I mean the uh, shake your booty down by like like Those like the like, dogs. <laughs> the, that was so. So yeah, those are all wonderful things. Like these people are getting buried in all the talent, but it's pretty solid down through the list here. I gotta ask, we haven't talked about this, but do you like the Gopher Chad? I read all this criticism, and some of my favorite movies have puppets. I love Gremlins. I love the original Star Wars that George Lucas keeps messing with and taking my puppets out of it. I'm fine with the gopher puppet. It doesn't distract me at all. I think it kind of adds to the charm. No issues. My dad actually has an issue with the gopher. Uh, He says he loves this movie, but he says it could do without the gopher. I'm like, you love Bill Murray. You won't. Like, what would he do without without the gopher? He said, oh, he'll be funny no matter what. I'm like, well, maybe. But. I like it. I like him on a gopher hunt to me. What about you, Kevin? Do you do you think the the gopher is good? This is a quote unquote uniting element throughout the movie that kind of was added late. Loved it as a kid. Then I grew it up. Then I grew up and uh, got more mature kids. That's uh, the answer is no. The gopher stinks. We can take that out. I mean, look, Bill Murray at least gives Bill Murray the outlet to get some of those great lines in there. Au revoir, gopher. But then the gopher see. Another death doesn't happen. The gopher sees him making the bombs and gets scared. Okay, last time I checked, that you know obviously can't happen. But I, I, I can do without the gopher. Give me more Rodney, Rodney and Chevy and Ted Knight and eighty-six that gopher. Give me, give me, give me Spalding picking his nose and giving watch those guys take more bets on if, he's, if the Smells kid is going to eat it for fifty bucks. Give me that. Take away the gopher. Well, on the DVD features as all Chevy Chase said, "I hate the gopher." They spent a million, sorry, thousands of dollars. Or I might have been millions. I don't know what he said. He said they spent they spent all this money on making this gopher animatronic gopher, and all it did was raise its arms and turn its head. And he said they should have given that money and t- screen time to me. So, um, so he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah. Wow. He's not wrong. Okay. I I think this is part of me. I liked it as a kid, and I can't not like it again. I like the crazy extremes. Watching Bill Murray literally dive towards these holes to try and catch the gopher. Or the scene where he's got like the clay, you know, varmints to try and catch the gopher of like, and who are his friends? But the rabbit and the squirrel. You see, to catch an animal, you have to think like an animal. And it does like the mm. great lip, like just melts off his face. I mean, none of this will be there without the gopher. So I'm, I am pro gopher. I, I'm okay with it. They tried to get the Jim Henson company to do the puppetry for it. They wouldn't do any outside projects. Disney was similar. So they had to get some guy named Jeff Burke who did it on a moonlight basis. So um, it shows. Okay. Okay. So let's see. Soundtrack. I am not a big Kenny Loggins fan. I probably dug my hole deep enough with Top Gun saying I don't love that. Soundtrack or Kenny Loggins and their four or five times they just keep pushing it down your throat. Kevin, are you okay with I'm all right and Kenny Loggins here? 
Not only am I a fan of I'm All Right, it is on my phone as a ringtone at times, depending on who's calling me. Yes, I'm very fine with it. I'm also a fan of Journeys Any Way You Want It, because anytime you hear that song, even my eight-year-old daughter, when she hears that song, I go, so what? She go, so let's dance. That the, Those two songs alone, and the other songs you can hear in the background, like, oh, I know that one. You hear it on the radio. Go, that's from Caddyshack. Uh, but what other songs are there? Those are the main three ones. Yes. And I am full. Anytime you hear those songs, either of those songs, a smile will automatically creep onto my face. That's how how great they are. And Top Gun soundtrack, Danger Zone, solid. You know what's not solid? Footloose. That song needs to be buried along with Uptown Girl and other terrible songs like that. But Loggins, I could go to Kenny Loggins' concert and stay for 15 minutes, three or four songs, and I'm out of there. That's it. Okay, Chad. How about you? This is this is getting closer to your comfort zone. You like these happier '80s times here, so uh, are you I happy? do. I I don't need five minutes for the intro like that. I kind of just wanted the movie to get on with itself rather than hear the entire Kenny Loggins song. We do get it later on, and that's fine. Uh, Danger Zone. You're just wrong. I very wrong. Very uh, wrong. It's not I wonder the Danger Zone is fin. Oh. You're, you're so wrong. And I'm sure you're going to get into it, but it, it's weird that this is the song that kicked off that craze of 48 track studio produced songs. Like of all the movies for a trivia answer, I would not have picked Caddyshack with Kenny Loggins for these studio produced songs in this craze. Chad, I'm just try this on for size. It seems like a bad fit, but Harold Ramis wanted Pink Floyd to write the music for all of the film. And, oh my but God. This, that's terrible. This I love Pink Floyd. Music artist. You, so you don't want Pink Floyd here. I hate Pink Floyd. So I'm very much happy that this choice was oh, not made. Chad's not friends. anymore. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love Pink Floyd and they don't belong here. Like that's, yeah. I can't imagine them even entertaining the offer. They did do a terrible soundtrack of a uh, Zabriskie's point, which is, it's just, Nothing about it is good. Nothing is. It doesn't seem like they cared. They took a. They took a paycheck. One other hmm. fun musical note here, as you may well know, the Chevy Chases and Paul Simon's "You Can Call Me Al's 1986 video. Again, I'm not Oof. a huge fan of Paul Simon, but I do like this music video, probably because of Chevy. But there's a line in it where you know, he looks at the camera and he says, "You can call me Betty," and it's directly from Caddyshack nah. when when he says, uh, "You know." He calls Danny the wrong name several times. He calls him Betty. Yeah. So, I like Betty, Danny. Danny. What do you have against Paul Simon? Like, why? I why prefer him with Garfunkel as opposed to without Garfunkel. He's not a great vocalist. And without that harmonization that Art Garfunkel, sorry, that um, Art Garfunkel brings, then just it's not as enjoyable for me. And I did not enjoy going to Graceland with the whole African influence thing that everybody else loves and champions. So good songwriter in his own right and all that stuff. I'm just saying this is not, we are entering into the Paul Simon that I don't like by the mid eighties. That's all. All right. Although go short guys. I'm a short guy. So, you know, good for you. Mm. Marrying princess Leia. <laughs> all right, Kevin, Chad, why don't we give out some superlatives? I'm ready. All right. Kevin, who's your MVP of Caddyshack? This movie that you love oh. so much. I can't give an MVP. This is the, 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 the I'll, I'll, if you want to give me one, the whole entire cast is the MVP. I can't, I go Rodney, I go Ted Knight, I go Chevy. I love them, those three equally. So I'll just be very lazy and go the cast. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I see you're going to walk the line on this one. So Chad, how about you? Can you make 
a decisive MVP for us of Caddyshack? It's Chevy Chase for me. Uh, Of the big three, he's the one that came closest to making me laugh consistently. I really enjoyed his dry humor. I wish he'd had more to do. I felt like no one really got a pure amount of time to shine. I wanted more time with each of these characters, except maybe Bill Murray. So you don't want three and a half hours of it? No, no, I don't. <laughs> I am going Bill Murray. I Bill Murray is probably my favorite comedic actor. And this is probably- Of all time? Yeah, I love him so much. And um, wow, I, I, I love Groundhog Day in a way that I know you went off on that one earlier. I love Ghostbusters. What about Bob? It's just I mean, that might be my that might be my number one movie. I love What About Bob. Um, mm. I just uh, I think the dramatic stuff that he does later in his career. I don't know. I give him credit for turning a page and doing that in his older age. But Scrooge, you know, just he's just so good. I don't know. I just love Bill Murray and his Saturday Night Live works makes me very happy. I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan as well. So anyway, Carl Spackler might be my favorite Bill Murray performance as just him being Bill Murray and just nailing this character. I love it so much. So it's my MVP. Best supporting actor, though. Kevin. I mean, I'll go. I'll have to go Ted Knight. So if I have to do that, I'll go Rodney then really guess Ted Knight supporting those two. The Sturm and Drong from those two. Fantastic. Love them, love them, love them. That's it. Ted Knight, one of the best villains in movie history that no one talks about. All right. Now, Chad, again, most of the people we have talked about this entire time technically are supporting actors. I mean, I, I think Danny is your protagonist probably. and But who's your best supporting on this? I would give him MVP if I didn't think I get pushback. But Ted Knight. I agree with Kevin. He's unhinged. People are still using his quotes and the gifts from this movie. It's his face. I I love everything about what he did. It's incredible. I particularly loved how slimy Ted Knight is when Danny, when he throws the golf club and hits somebody just eating at the restaurant and Danny covers for him. And you yes. know, there's these moments where he seems incredibly indebted or Danny lets him cheat. And he's like, how about you mow my lawn? Or he hands him a nickel, mm. like, you know, mm. and like, so he keeps, he's been done so many favors or he's had this guy brown nose him so hard only to get very minor returns for it. And um, all of that is just so funny to see how cheap and petty he is. So, and he does lay it on really good with the, I think you can agree. Some people just aren't Bushwood material. Like he nails that. People just long. That's how we do it. Yeah. So it's, uh, and it's so enjoyable when Chevy goes, yeah, my dad never liked you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you on the golf course. I I do this movie just from pure memory. You're right. Yes. It's, it's it's great. It's Ted Knight is so, it's a shame that we never got him in more comedic roles because boy, did he just absolutely kick the living hell out of us with this role. Yeah, Absolutely. Hidden gem, Kevin. Hidden gem. Who, who, or what is an undercelebrated character or element within this movie that you want to give credit to? I could have said Lou. I could have said Ted Knight again, but I'm going to go with Brian Doyle Murray, the Caddy Master. Uh, you know, well, Lou raised the price of cokes. Well, I ain't paying no fifty cents for no coke. I mean, Lou, Lou is is so funny. Odd or even odd. You're an odd. It is honor, Your Honor. You pick up that tissue. You pick up that blood. Just dumb stuff like that. Uh, Lou, Lou the Caddy Master, underrated and hilarious. Also, as a writer too, in this, so that's a great choice. Oh, yeah. So I mean, yeah. 
you know, so many of the things that we listed earlier on, including the baby Roussin happened to him. So uh, way to channel the things that happen in your life. Fun fact, Tommy, uh, I'm blanking. Howie Mandel claims that he told the, he did that same exact baby Ruth thing years before Caddyshack, and they're claiming they stole that idea from him as he said it on the radio, and he claims someone heard it and used it in Caddyshack. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I tell you this much. It's a funny scene. So they had to, I find this funny. They had to cut that for TV. Like if you look at, you can Google all the things that they cut out. They cut the baby mm. Ruth scene on TV. Like I guess the implied poop was too much for TV at one point in time. That's very disappointing. Right. I mean, well, without the 80s. I mean, without, without that, everybody has to just, I don't know. The synchronized swimming becomes the highlight of the scene. I mean, just, it's useless. A, that they, they could have, that that should have been on the on the cutting room floor along with the gopher too. That I know it's only a minute, and thank God it's only a minute. But boy, you talk about a completely useless scene there. In the meantime, just to to do that and have a little classical music play in the background, no thanks, unnecessary. I did love the uh, tomboy girl who you think is a boy the entire time, popping the hat off. Yes, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, she, she pants him, pants him in the pool. That's yeah, funny. Yes. All right, um, Chad, hidden gem. I'm going with a super deep cut. So there's a guy out in the robot rowboat when Al is just going yeah. and terrorizing everything. Yeah. This dude has the best comedic expressions and he gets this cartoonish eye bulge right as the boat's coming at him. That guy is great. He is good. I think Chris Red is another one of these comedians who has like this big eyed, like what kind of like appearance. Yeah. So, but you're right. That is he gets his little tiny rowboat destroyed so well. So my hidden gem, I'm going to go with John Barman Jr., who is Spalding. And I just think that this, yes, this, dunce, agree. this dunce-like character is so funny. You know, he takes the swing. And he's like, farts. He's like, Spalding. Lingers. <laughs> <laughs> Double turns. Yeah, sorry, turns. Double turns. Spalding. You know, the, are you going to eat your fat like he vomits into the limo and then the rich guy gets into his limo and then like slides down in there i mean everything he's not a member grandma he's a caddy yeah i mean he delivers these little bits through here but i mean this is a very underappreciated role i'm sure i mean, technically it has a name attached to it but I, I enjoyed all the Spalding stuff and, you know, the picking his nose and then like they double down in bed. It's like double nothing. He eats it. It's like you're on. So, Love it. so um, Spalding just humor follows him around everywhere. And you talk about I could use a little more of this in the movie. I think I could use some more Spalding in the movie. So um, him yakking in the open roof of the Porsche. Like, there were plenty of other places for him to puke, but he decides to go in the open. You're right. Open portion. It's a portion. And, and then, of course, and. And then, of course, he uh, the drive Doctor Beeper gets in, and I don't know about you fellas, but puke is one smell that you really can't miss. And that, from feet away, the fact he just opens the door, gets right in, and that smell doesn't blast him in the face without him looking down first to go. Eh, that doesn't happen. One tiny little element I want to call out here under Hidden Jim is Lou asked Danny to take over for him in his office at a moment, and inside the office yep. there, there's a Coneheads poster. So Did not see that. So that's a. Uh, I love Saturday Night Live. Obviously, Chevy and Bill come from the Saturday Night Live tree, so that's a fun little sight find that you can find in there. Now recast, and we we make it. We, you got to play the game here, Kevin. So I know you love this movie, but if you had to recast somebody, 
and put somebody else in their place, who's it going to be? So my wife tries playing this with me all the time and it's virtually impossible. And I only have a couple answers for this because again, it's so perfectly cast. No one out there now has the ability to do it. And I only have two answers for you. Carl Spackler, Zach Galifianakis. Oh, well, Ty, Ty Webb, Bradley Cooper. And there's nobody else out there. Maybe, maybe J.K. Simmons as Judge Smales. Maybe. Oh, we didn't that do is, that. Wouldn't that? I mean, J.K. Simmons is gold. But no one can touch Rodney. That is for sure. Maybe J.K. Simmons. But I think uh, and even Ty Webb's a little iffy. But Galifianakis is the closest thing I think out there can do that. So, but other than that, this film, you can, the, the, they, Cedric the Entertainer even tried as they threw it out. They're like, oh, maybe I'll reboot Caddyshack. The online backlash was so vicious. It got shut down so hard. So thankfully it did. Yeah, that's, that's not a good idea on that one. Chad, recast. Yeah, this is the part where you guys can both call me an idiot. I want to recast Bill Murray. I honestly found his performance distracting. I didn't really find it funny at all. I... I want John Belushi in this role. John's still around with us for two more years. So stick him in. I think he'd do a very funny job with this. Well, you just make me want John Belushi in addition to everything that's going on. Is it, isn't that cheating? Because I thought you were, the, the, the premise was it has to be recast with today's characters. No, no, no. no, no. It's actually, we usually go for that at the time. It's at, it's at, it's at okay. the time. All right. Cause I'm like, nah, that's not going to cut it. All right. Well, I, I, those, I can't think of anybody else and I got to get going here soon. So those are my answers. I'll okay. still stick by them, but that's Belushi for the time. All on board with that one. Completely on board. Michael, Michael O'Keefe is going to be mine and I'm going to go for, I'm going to go back to the animal house. Well here, Namadeus here. So Tom Hughes. So, okay. Okay. Best shot. Not necessarily a cinematic masterpiece here, Kevin, but what's your best shot in the movie? <laughs> There's so many. This is me copping out. There's so many. There's so many lines. There's just so many. It's it's not a it's not a really a visual. If I had to pick a, you're saying a visual, Cin- yeah, then make a check. Cinematic moment, like what what visually, you know, best. It moment. has to be a vi- well yeah. visually. Then it, then it's Chevy Chase pulling zipping up and down his flies as, as someone hot walks by. Okay, okay. Chad, how about you? Best shot. Or or, or actually, oops, sorry, I'll, I'll split it with this one. Where Ronnie goes, oh, it looks good on you, though. And those uh, facial, like, mm. oh, God, gross-faced. Right. Yes. Gold. Chad, how about you? Best shot. Uh, the giant explosions while the 1812 overture. That's just a spectacle and mayhem. I enjoy it. You know, we didn't really talk about this very much, but I like the scene where the bishop raises his golf club up in the air and right yes. before he gets hit by right. lightning. And that's um, one of my visuals from this movie. He's not necessarily a big name character, but he's got uh, he's got Carl doing his caddy job for him. And the rain really starts to come down. I really love it when he's like the he's like, do you think we should keep playing? He's like, I don't think the heavy stuff's going to come down for quite a while now. So yeah. that's just so good. And uh, the, the frog jumps out of the hole that like the ball like goes into everything. The wind blows the ball back in. He's having the game of his life. And then he raises his golf club up in the air and gets hit by lightning. Love that lightning shot. So best scene. This is this is this is more of an entire scene here, though. Kevin. Again, there are so many. It's it. it, it a lot more Roddy moments, a lot more Ted Knight moments. The best scene. Is it the Rodney Dangerfield dinner where he just goes on I tell like you machine what, guns like jokes? That's great. I love when he's on the golf course for the first time 
And it's, uh, oh, I was your age. I was looking at five, six flights of stairs. You know, you know they say for Italians, this is skilled labor. So the time he gets on the golf course and plays the music and they're dancing, hey, you want your driver? Hey, he's not my type. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Yeah, give me my driver. All right, place your bets. Place your bets. That whole Roddy on the golf course for the first time, that's my favorite part because it's so, got, so quotable. So quotable. Yep. Yep. He's, he comes in, he comes in again Hots. on fire. Just, he's just great. Chad, how about you? Best best scene. I like when Danny has to kind of reconcile with Judge Smales, and we've got the lamp in the way to start the scene, and they're just yeah. kind of dodging around the lamp until it gets thrown over. And then we get memorable quotes like, Are you my pal? Like just everything about that is fantastic. I like it. Um, I'm with Kevin. This is very hard to choose from. So I think I'm gonna pick something that was just branded to me as a kid. The baby Ruth scene made me laugh so hard as a kid. And when Bill Murray's cleaning out the pool, you see that shot of him just in like a hazmat suit, you know, and he picks up the bar and he looks over, he's like, <laughs> sniffs it. And he goes, it's not that bad. And just takes a big bite out of it. And yeah. what, what sells it even as an adult, again, is Mrs. Is Mrs. Smales going like, oh, and falling over and fainting. <laughs> so it's cartoonish. It's childish. Bodily functions are funny, and I love it. So, best wardrobe or makeup moment, Kevin. I have a feeling Mr. Dangerfield is about to make another appearance here. Yeah, yeah, Rodney. Awesome. Chad, how about you? Best wardrobe or makeup moment? The Swiss Army knife of a golf bag. Just oh, that. that's good, too. I think you guys are really on to it because, I mean, it's just Rodney Dangerfield comes in. He comes in with that colorful sweater, the green polo shirt, the white hat, the white belt, pink pants, golf bag. Just red, yellow, and green. Like he's all over the place. He's tacky, and it's perfect. It's just he embodies everything Ted Knight hates, and it's just so good. So, change one thing, Kevin, and only one thing. The gopher out. Gopher's out. I think we saw this coming. Chad, how about you? Change one thing. Get rid of Sarah Holcomb's Scottish accent or Irish accent. She's an American. You don't have to do that. You don't have to match it to whatever your real life experience is or get someone Irish to play her. That is a pretty reasonable one. I struggled with this one. I said I want the lawnmower cutscene added back in there. I think, Chad, you texted me back and said it's a little bit on the long side. I think the scene itself would get edited because it's not, you know, it's, it's a deleted scene. But I want to see Chevy and Bill interacting again and just the physicality of what Bill Murray is doing in that scene. It's awesome. So agreed. Best quote. I know you've been machine gunning them all night long, Kevin, but if there's one scene that's st- sorry, if there's one quote that stands out above all the rest, and uh, we know it's not going to be the Cinderella story for you. You've mentioned that this is not going to be it. What quote would you say is your favorite? So many. Oh, I ain't paying no 50 cents for no Coke. Well, you ain't getting no coat. No, I'm just kidding. That's a good one. No, it's got to be. It's 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 a Rodney line. It has to be a Rodney line. I'm, I'll go with the. Uh, I'll go with the easy. No, not the easy one. No, I, I. You want your driver? No, he's not my type. Perfect Rodney line, right up his alley. Give me that. But again, I could be sitting here picking. You know picking one for days so let's just go with that and we can we could ask you tomorrow and you give a different answer i think that's a common thing that you can ask me in three minutes and it'll be a different one yeah yeah i mean uh i love it when randy dangerfield just he's on he's going through the room alienating everybody that's all of those are just amazing you know 
now I know why the tigers eat the young and you know the uh, oh baby you must have been something before electricity so I mean uh, all right Chad how about you I can't do a Rodney impression but it's a Rodney line one hundred fourteen dollars the hard way yeah <laughs> see there's another great there you go that one doesn't miss oh the graveyard's two blocks that way I mean he's very funny can you make a shoe smell oh the you know, should been back in boys you know should been back in boys town it's great no i take that back here's my favorite line because i use it all the time scrub that one from the record you know they say for italians this is skilled labor we're carrying the golf clubs around love that line that's always brings a chuckle to the table i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with rodney dangerfield as well with the oh this is the worst looking hat i've ever seen yeah. what do you do buy somebody uh, what do you do buy a hat <laughs> like this and I bet you get a bowl of free soup with it huh and then judge smells happens to be wearing that exact hat standing right behind him and as you mentioned the eye, the eyes, like, but it looks good on you, and uh, just so good. My favorite Bill Murray line probably does have to be the Dalai Lama speech, where uh, he goes, uh, "So I got that going for me, which is nice." <laughs> so, which uh, I guess the other half of that was uh, on my deathbed, I will receive total consciousness. Kevin, do you want to remind people where we can hear more from you on the Gutting the Sacred Cow podcast? Oh, great. My second favorite topic besides me. Guttingthesacredcow.com is where you find all that information. We're on every podcast platform imaginable, Spotify, Apple, iTunes. That's the same thing, stupid. <laughs> Google, YouTube podcast. Check us out there at GTSC podcast on Twitter, Gutting the Sacred Cow podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Uh, gutting the sacred cow at gmail.com if you want to say hi to with us or advertise but yeah check us out it's a once a week episode an hour hour and change where our guests pick a film they find overrated or hate and trying to convince us to see their point but the twist the film must meet one of these criteria widely beloved critically acclaimed or a financial success gutting the sacred cow is the best movie review podcast out there and we're giving that we give a platform to those people with unpopular opinions about our most popular films of all time all right. All right. It sounds like Chad needs to be on there for Caddyshack. But uh... actually, actually, real funny. Someone tried to do because I know the guy who did it. We've become friends with him through the podcast. He came on to do Caddyshack to try and gut Caddyshack. And let's just say that it was an unceremonious death for him as he tried to gut that film. Yeah. And it's, it's still beautiful. Can't... I do not want that smoke. No. no. <laughs> good, good lay down. Good lay down. All right. Uh, now, we've come full circle. And on a five-star scale with half-star intervals, Kevin, what would you give Caddyshack from 1980? Not a 35 and a half. Nice. Nice. That sounds like a good it, It's a five out of five. It's a perfect film. I can't. The rewatchability is, the rewatchability is through the roof. I watch it at least every year, twice a year, without fail. Every year for my fantasy football draft, people come over. That's the first thing that goes on when people start showing up. It's a so, great movie to watch with your friends, for sure. Chad? What are you going to do to follow that five up? Oh, man. I love listening to you guys talk about this movie and gush about it. I could do that for an hour and a half. I'm willing to go as high as a three myself. Like, I enjoyed it. It was, it was, it was fun. It's, I don't get the classic feel. Okay. Okay. I mean, uh, I maintain this movie thrives on rewatch. So watch it twice a year, every year, like Kevin. Do your, do your job and uh, just make sure that it's uh, – keep watching it over and over again and we'll come back and we'll do this again after we've covered every movie and uh, we can we can amend that. So, All right. And for me, I'm going to give this, unsurprisingly, five stars. This is a top five movie for me. I love this movie. This is just so funny. I can't 
tell you how many times it's taken me in a bad mood and picked me up and put me in a good mood. I've enjoyed introducing it to people. I've enjoyed watching it with people. And anything you can return to that much and just puts that much joy in your life is truly special beyond just what's on film. So I love Caddyshack and I love that you, Kevin, wanted to come on here and cover it with us. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, thank you. You're um, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys, most importantly. Absolutely. Appreciate the time. And um, Chad, do you want to help me pick a movie for next week? Love to. So, Russell, we are going to the courtroom for our next movie selection. We have three courtroom drama movies for you. Option number one is Witness for the Prosecution, 1957. A veteran British barrister must defend his client in a murder trial that has surprise after surprise. Option two is Anatomy of a Murder from 1959. An upstate Michigan lawyer defends a soldier who claims he killed an innkeeper due to temporary insanity after the victim raped his wife. What is the truth, and will he win his case? Or option three, Inherit the Wind from 1960. Based on a real-life case in 1925, two great lawyers argue the case for and against a Tennessee science teacher accused of the crime of teaching evolution. Boy, these are all interesting ones. I've not seen any of them. Let's stick with that last one there, Inherit the Wind. All right, oldies but goodies. All right, look forward to finding that out with you. So whether that's any good. So, all right. Thank you, Chad. And thank you all the lords, ladies and knights, the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's mostly audio. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, or follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Emails at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. And producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash RetroMovieRoundtable. All contributions are much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chat. Why don't you just go home? That's your home. Are you too good for your home?